0: Pablo Hoffman is the executive director of Sociedade Chua, a non-governmental organization founded in 2003 dedicated to nature conservation. Their focus is on the conservation of rare and endangered plant species in the Araucaria Forest in Brazil. The organization has been raising awareness of the importance of native ecosystem conservation through its various conservation projects, research on flora, and development of plants for protected areas.
1: Pablo Hoffman, welcome to the One Planet podcast.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So tell us, what sets you on this journey to protect the natural and cultural ecosystems in Brazil?
2: You know, Brazil has the greatest biodiversity in terms of plants in the world. It's very well known about the Amazonia and the Atlantic rainforest, for example, Rio de Janeiro and other parts of Brazil. But there are also other parts of the Atlantic rainforest, small or different ecosystem related to the Atlantic rainforest, but much more degraded than other parts. For example, this ecosystem that I work in, it's called Araucada Forest. So since I was a kid, I liked very much plants and botanics and stuff like that. When I grew up, I decided to study forestry and the love for plants was growing and growing more. And I understood that the Araucada Forest was an ecosystem that was really degraded and needed some conservation projects to make it protect the plant species, especially that I work for now. And nowadays, the Araucara forest ecosystem used to cover, for example, in the Paraná state where I live, around 40% of the state. And nowadays there's less than 1% left of good quality remnants of forest. So it's almost nothing. Then you can imagine what happens with the plant species and also animal species. We have nowadays around 40 species of plants endangered of extinction in this region, which is very critically in the next few years. So the work that we are doing to save species is very important for the ecosystem and for the humans, of course.
1: Yeah, exactly, because it's all interconnected. And as you point out, extinction, well, with the animal world, then it's very dependent on, and you can perhaps go into details, you know, they're not like us, you know, omnivorous can eat anything almost. They have a very narrow amount of foods that they can eat. So when the biodiversity is lost, then they go extinct. So just tell us a little bit about that interplay and how we're all part of this.
2: Yeah. Yes, that's a good point that you just said, because most of the animals are very specialized in terms mm-hmm. of pollinators and also seed dispersers, all the interactions that we have in the forests and in other ecosystems. And also humans play important on the conservation and in the destruction as well. For example, if you read about the southern Brazil history, you can understand that most of the economic cycles were related to the use of the ecosystem. Firstly, for example, cattle rising in natural grasslands and savannas and then uh, the use of raucária forests and araucaria timber for timber fuel and stuff like that. And also lately the use of the forest for a specific species which is called yerba mate. It's a kind of tea, very well known in the South from Brazil, South America, and some parts around the world. And some of the cycles had less impact on the conservation, and others, like timber exploitation and stuff like that, end up destroying the ecosystems. And some of them, like the cattle and were less impact because... They were like extensive areas and not very much concentrated in one area. But nowadays, the conversion of the natural areas, even grasslands, savannas, or forests in agribusiness areas is the most impact since we have this capacity of using machines tractors for converting these areas using more and more fertilizers agrochemicals pesticides and stuff like that we can do the same time that we can destroy one hectare in less than one hour with some types of tractors and machines it will take like i don't know 50 years, 100 years to recover if it recovers, depends on the surroundings and how many species and if we still have dispersers, pollinators, and the other actors of the ecosystem to recover.
1: Yes, indeed. I was having a conversation recently in terms of the soil health and the soils becoming infertile. I have the statistics, say, in America, and it seems like a small annual percentage of soil degradation, like 0.3% 0.3% in America. You can tell me what it is in Brazil. But over, you know, it a 100 years, that's 30% soil infertility. And if the soil is infertile, we cannot grow. This is really our <laughs> livelihood. It isn't only the animals. It's not only the plants. We can't grow anything we can't eat. Tell me what that's like in Brazil. And, you know, the, what are the regenerative uh, farming practices or perhaps indigenous practices that you use there in the nursery?
2: So the percentage of soil is huge and the recovering is very, very slow. Take 100 years or more to recover a very small part of the soil. And of course, as you said, it's not just soil or animals or plants. Us, I mean, if we don't have a substrate or a soil to plant and if we don't have these interactions, for example, pollination, and we can not grow anything to eat or most of the plants we cannot grow without pollinators, and stuff like that. And what we try to do here at the nursery is using plant species as flagships. We try to recover the ecosystem and recover the functionality of the ecosystems. So keeping the plants so they can provide food for the animals, for the pollinators, keeping the ecosystem functioning like water quality, soil quality. We keep on having food production for humans, for us, and for for the rest of, of the ecosystem that we are part of. So actually at the nursery, we are not a huge nursery, but we are a huge in number of species, more than 215 species nowadays, which means more than a half of the species that occur on this ecosystem. So uh, we can say that we are the, the nursery that produces the greatest number of species of the forest in the world. We did some research and on average Nurseries produces 30 to 34 native species, and most of them are common species, not rare or threatened, which is very bad if you think about the fragmentation and degradation of this ecosystem. There there will be no good fragments surrounding this recovering area. There will be no spurses to bring more species or bring more seeds to enrich this area, so you are just covering the soil and not thinking about the perpetuation of the species, the survival of the species in the long term. And this is something very important. So what we do here is more thinking about conservating our future conservation of the ecosystem. For example, we travel like six to seven hours or more to collect seeds from different remnants, thinking about genetic conservation. So we never collect from Trees that are too close to each other to avoid genetic endogamic problems in the future. We try to collect a high number of species and also from a high number of individuals to avoid genetic endogamical problems in the future. And here at the nursery, we avoid to use any type of agrochemicals. We are almost... Uh, organic production around here. So what we do is try to do everything in the best way in terms of scientific information available, for example, collecting from a whole number of species and from the most possible number of different regions and to try to replant them in adequate areas in the future.
1: And from what I understand, you must have had a kind of a magical childhood or at least one that's where you are very connected to nature from the time you were young.
2: Yes, I was since forever. <laughs> Actually it's a funny story because most of my family are cowboys or farmers. And once I was like eight or nine years old, my grandmother was getting sick and she couldn't she always had a lot of plants at home, like in pots. And she asked me to help her to water the plants. And my parents said yeah, you have to, to help her. And it was quite a, a good experience because is when you start to like plants, it's like a vicious thing. <laughs> then she gave me one plant. After some time, I was growing my own plants. <laughs> and I was very, very interested in doing the garden. And then and I used to go to the forest and collect plants to grow at home, like orchids and stuff like that, like beginning my first nursery. And it's a crazy love that grows when you start to understand how the plants grow, how the ecosystems and how. And how important, how beautiful. This is beautiful. This is amazing. We are humans and we are part of it. And I always, of course, like the animals as well, but the plants were my passion. Like we have, I don't know how many plants in the farm. It's like a passion. And of course, my daughters name it Flora. <laughs> my wife likes, she's also a botanic and she loves plants as well so yeah we live in the countryside and a farm that has trees and all kinds of plants and then I think one of the things that made me love and try to preserve and Try to conserve ecosystems and species is when you understand how slowly a plant or a tree grows and how much effort takes to keep it and how are the interactions between plants, between animals and plants, pollinators and dispersers and the ecosystem is something that everybody should know or not really know scientifically but understand in terms of how beautiful and how nice are these interactions and we are part of it. We can the good interaction or we can be the bad guys in terms of destroying the ecosystem. But I think understanding, knowing makes people see the importance of each part of ecosystem or each part of of interactions, which is amazing.
1: Yes, it's lovely how your grandmother passed that on to you. And that's part of this intergenerational knowledge that sometimes gets lost. And I really like that point that you can appreciate the beauty of nature not just as a scientist, you know, there's a lot of people who have a kind of degree of innate scientific understanding of their farmers or indigenous peoples who just know the way the ecosystem works. They just know because of their livelihood, if their farmers are is based on it or... You know, they didn't even go to school for it, but it was passed on through the generations. So tell me a little bit about some of your other teachers, maybe it's indigenous groups or others that you've learned this kind of natural knowledge, you know, the different teachers you've had in your life.
2: Good question. (laughs) So, yeah, there's a lot to learn with like just my grandmother. She was also, oh, you have to use this type of soil because this plant's like a shadow or this species like more sun, but because she was not a scientist. But she used to understand everything about the plants. And her plants used to grow like crazy and beautiful. And like my father-in-law, he knows the moon phases. He says, you need to prune the wines this time of the year. Otherwise, you're going to lose. the. It's never going to flower. And it's going to be bad for the plants. And these people know a lot about native plants. And also, of course, cultivate fruits and other types of plants. But this is getting Lost because technology is fantastic. But I've learned a lot with family, with neighbors, with common people, farmers, and our colleagues. And of course, university, you learn the technical stuff you learn science but sometimes science is not applicable in reality it's the base of learning for example if you can or cannot storage a type of seed science can tell you but for how long or what's the best way then you have to try it I mean practically saying. and for for the most of Brazilian species you don't have any kind of information one of the things that we are doing like is producing science but trying to put the science in a practical level so mapping the trees, knowing where they are, people don't know, and how to find these trees or ecological behavior or auto-ecology of the plants, like young farmers don't know. But what I'm trying to say is that university teaches science, but you have to convert the scientific learning into practical learning. And then you collect the information from your neighbors, indigenous people, even grandmothers. You can extract or learn lots of things about the plants, about the, anything from them. You mentioned so
1: the mapping the trees. Do you work with MapBiomas, Carlos Souza Jr. and his team? Oh, they have this no. forestry mapping, but it's more satellite. So I don't know if that's applicable for you. But that's more like in the Amazon and identifying different species.
2: Oh, yeah. We have a smaller scale. No, you know, the Amazon is huge comparing to this region of Brazil. And also they have huge trees. So for some, you can map trees using satellite images, then you can filter in Because we live in a very degraded region in terms of forest and native ecosystem, it's quite difficult to find more rare or endangered species. What we use also for mapping the trees is like herbaria re- registers. So botanic people use those, then you have to go to the place and you have to find the tree. And then sometimes you go there and, and you don't find the, the trees. Or you don't find the seeds, or the seeds are not ready for collection, then you have to go again. Or maybe you get late and the seeds are already roting or something like that. And so what we do is try to use as many as possible different types of tools, including GIS, satellite images, and drone flights as well for some species work very, very well. For some species, is quite difficult to see. And this scientific information from herbaria and also from like bibliography and botanicals.
1: Yes. And speaking about some of this lost knowledge, I, sometimes I feel like if we just open our eyes and our senses, we can, of course, learn from our elders, but also from animals themselves. I remember visiting a farm, and there's a patch of soil. It has no more health, no more life in it, and none of the birds landed on it. And as you say, we kind of are like in love with technology and science. And sometimes we forget these things, but all the birds will land on this other, the evidently rich soil. Soil so they don't forget, you know, their whole, it's this adaptive intelligence. You, you can follow them and we can find our way back to nature, I guess.
2: Yes. Perfect. What you said is just perfect. And sometimes we do like courses for people that are willing to learn about restoration and restoration processes, techniques and stuff like that. And one of the main things that I always say is we have to copy nature and for copying just observing so it's like you said animals never never forget so they know where to do so for example when you see a group of certain species of plants if you know a little bit about botanics or even don't know if you check the soil and the soil is too wet or or you can see it's a flood area or a swamp then you see there there will be species there adapted to that area. So there you never find a like a huge tree in some of those areas in Brazil, for example. So you find shrubs, five or six types of uh, trees, and you know if you plant a tree in the wrong place, this tree will never grow again. So just observing the the plants that are growing, you understand what kind of soil you have and what are the limitations for planting or not planting or the use of the soil. And also when you see a group of the species that are plant species that are growing in a hill, for example, where the, the soil is drier, then you can see the type of trees that are growing there. For example, if they are like all pioneer species, for example, in this region, You never find like fleshy fruits and you find only dry fruits that will attract certain types of birds. And then you understand that what you need to plant there to recover or what kind of birds you find there. So it's also just a matter of learning a little bit about the relationship between animals and plants or plants and soil or plants and weather. And it's uh, important. And I think most of the farmers... Our people that live from the land, our indigenous people, are very, very good observers. <laughs> That's why they learn, they understand the ecosystem just by seeing how it works. And one thing is when we think about restoration, you have to follow the ecosystem. How the ecosystem recovers from situation, what kind of plants grow first, and then how long they, they last in the place, and after that, what comes, what kind of birds... How is the soil after this first phase? And how can we as humans that can maybe intervene in the ecosystem and improve the process or accelerate the process? How can we copy the nature and make it better? And it's incredible. Nature is beautiful. It's like learning. The whole time,
1: <laughs> yes. and you know we know that they're bad actors like fossil fuel industry and logging companies. And I know if they're there, there's a high deforestation rates, you know, rampaging the country. Can you tell us a little bit about how your restoration and reforestation are helping climate change?
2: Yes, basically planting trees is one of the ways of avoiding our carbon sequestration. So, you know, there are some scientists that say that just planting soybeans or corn will make the same effect of, of planting trees, which is not true. So what we try to do is to keep all together biodiversity, species conservation, soil conservation, air quality, water, and climate change tackling as well, using plants and species as flags, then people understand that the species will disappear. And if we use restoration with these plants, so we're going to be more effective having biodiversity, conservation, climate changing actions, and all types of ecosystem services continuation in the future.
1: Yes, and we also know that the illegal deforestation often it's to make way, say, for planting palm oil trees. It just tell us a little bit about the bad actors affecting your region and how much they affect the local communities. How your involvement, say, in activism and different movements.
2: I think well, the most important actors in terms of degradation and deforestation are in this region is the agribusiness, first of all despite of almost nothing left in terms of a good quality native forests, the degradation keeps on going. Not very much about timber or, or wood extraction, but more about conversion, like converting areas, natural areas into agriculture, crops, or even for cattle raising. And Agribusiness in Brazil is very, very strong, especially in the south region. Now it's growing more and more the whole country. And government has limitations on control. The last federal government was really bad for conservation the last years. And so it's not that I don't like agriculture or any type of agribusiness. It's just the manner that we are doing is not very scientific, more like only thinking about money and production. And I think with the technology that we have already in this world, we can reduce the area and be more effective. And the amount of agrochemicals and fertilizers, pesticides that we are using, even if we don't cut a tree, the trees will die or the animals or the pollinators will die and then the forest will be empty and the ecosystem will never function again. So it's a matter of making the things more rationally the second thing that's the most important threats in terms of fragmentation and degradation of our ecosystem especially pine trees in this region pine trees were brought from north america and mexico and they are very important in terms of timber production in the southern region and but they are very aggressive in terms of invasion so uh, one thing that i forgot to tell you is that in that okaraf forest region there's the forest type and also the grasslands and the savannas are in a worst state of conservation. There is only 0.3% of well-preserved areas left. And all those areas were we can say contaminated by invasive species. Pine trees are the first, then all types of grasses that were brought to for cattle raising and stuff like that. Also in the cities, in other forest fragments like parks, and there, there will be like more than four species that are very aggressive, added to pine trees. For example, Morus alba, which is kind of a blackberry that grows really well in Brazil. Also, some species of citrus, some species of ginger, the other species, I don't think they have a name in English, but like Ligustrum uh, japonico, Ligustrum uh, lucidum, Ovenus dulcis, which are species that grows inside the forest as well and they produce lots of fruits so uh, the native birds love these fruits so there's a like a cyclic problem because the the, instead of eating native fruits the birds go to the exotic trees and and spread them and eat more of them and they don't pollinize they don't spread any more the native trees because they are using to eat and to pollinate the, the exotic trees so it's a huge problem you think about and the future of the ecosystem. Also of course some urban expansion so some nice forest fragments are native vegetation fragments in the surroundings of some urban areas are nowadays are being destroyed to build our fancy houses or popular buildings as well. so urbanization is very very strong as well it's like a huge business in this region.
0: As Pablo Hoffman described his childhood love of plants growing into a mission of nature conservation, it made me think of my own life living in a very different environment from Hoffman's, in New York City, an urban center with parks and botanical gardens, but also thousands of skyscrapers and mounds of pavement. Through my theater arts background, it became clear to me that Hoffman sees plants as a lens to contextualize himself and humanity. He values the strings that connect humans and nature and recognizes the possibility of failure for plants not to grow, not to thrive. Hoffman asks people to recognize these fragile connections, to place significance on the ecosystem that keeps the world fed and functioning. From here, I began to think about how we as humans interact with this ecosystem. We gloss over how simple yet complex our world is. We rely on this ecosystem to live yet The majority of the population doesn't recognize or understand its interactions between animals and humans, pollinators and plants, when these chains hold the key to life on Earth. As a global community, we are eager to push to the future, to explore, to create. By doing so without a true understanding of our world, we are seemingly destroying the processes that allow us to survive. It seems unfathomable that humanity would lose itself in its greed and innovation. But like the Greek myth Icarus, we may be flying too close to the sun. Hoffman made a salient point, one that fights to be heard, that academia alone does not have the answers to all of our questions, nor will it provide complete solutions to the problems we have created. We often forget that observation is a key part of learning as we continue to modernize and look to the future. His deep appreciation for his elders and community not only highlights and praises the observational knowledge Indigenous people and local communities have accumulated over the years, but represents the collaboration of new and old, academic and observational, learned and lived. It gives a sense of togetherness, that humanity can work together to rebuild the systems we have broken. And now, back to the interview.
1: Last year, you won the Whitley Award and congratulations on this acknowledgement of you. your work. You know, what is an award like this? What is that? How does that allow you to expand and continue your work?
2: Oh, uh, thank you very much. And yeah, the Whitley Awards was an incredible recognition of our work. And there, of course, some funds that we received, which was really nice. But in terms of uh, like communication, media and stuff like that was very important. They have a uh, very good work on networking. And of course, they are very famous because of the princess and the royal family and some of the sponsors. But I mean, the work they are doing is incredible because they are kind of disseminating or putting in front of the people conservation projects, of course, teams, institutions, and people that deserve that. But also, they are bringing to reality some of the problems. I mean, in our region, most of the people don't talk about this that we are having this kind of conversations people don't know about destruction or they see uh, they, they are cutting some trees but they don't see this as a problem they don't understand that that the ecosystem nowadays is less than 1% of similar to the original areas so it's interesting because they brought us the opportunity to show people we are doing this work because the ecosystem is disappearing we're trying to do a nice thing to save species, but the problem is not ours. I mean, <laughs> it is ours as well. But the problem is a state problem or a community problem, and everybody needs to see this. And also the communication about what we are doing, how hard is doing what we are doing in terms of even finding these species, finding funds to keep on going. I mean, we're almost 20 years working with species conservation.s and in a country like Brazil, it's quite difficult. It's like a almost like a miracle that we are still here and keep on, on going. One of the questions of the princess was, are you still doing the same? Are you still fighting for this? And she said, this is incredible. Because normally people give up. And we decided to, this is my life. <laughs> this is my life. I want to leave a legacy in terms of trying to do something to save this ecosystem, to save the species, to... To make sure that my daughter can see some of this species in the future and not only my daughter but people in the future can see can discover more species can use this species
1: and has your mission and your work become easier with the election of president lula da silva i mean how has that changed on the ground working you know what is the general feeling in terms of having a an environmental a climate platform
2: Oh, yeah, This is interesting. I usually don't talk about politics or people or government, but the thing is more about what we had the past years and what we are having now, what we are going to have in the future. I mean, believing just the fact of the government believes in science is already something. And also the changes in the environment agencies and stuff like that, we will improve certainly the quality of the conservation activities. From the government, and probably they will support more organizations like ours and other people, scientists, universities that will probably improve the quality of environmental activities in Brazil.
1: Indeed, we need that international cooperation, particularly, you know, also managing resources and water and all of these things that don't obey borders but are shared. And so in closing, as you mentioned your daughter, it must be present on your mind as you think about the future and the kind of world we're leaving, the next generation. What would you like young people to know, preserve and remember?
2: Well, good question. I would like, first of all, young generation to learn the importance of all single being in Earth. I mean, it's not a matter of religion or beliefs or nothing. It's just a function. <laughs> I mean, we understand that it takes time. Something takes time to grow, to, to the evolution, to the evolution of the interactions, even showing young kids to germinate seeds or to, to watch how it works and how important it is. Because I believe an ecosystem has kind of this the cycles of interactions and also we as humans we need something that is called empathy when we understand something we can better try to feel and to see that it's not just cutting a tree or converting an area stuff like that when you understand when you know even not in a scientific way I mean just understanding a little bit how it works in like in a practical way will make us I don't want To get hurt, so I don't want to hurt anyone. So is it? matter of knowing how things work and knowing empathy one of the things and the other things what i see in the future i don't know how long i will live but i hope to teach my daughter and as many people to see the ecosystem the interactions part of our existence if there's no place to live we can't live if there's no food if there's no soil to grow we'll die if there's no water or air quality or if there's no pollinators you're gonna die (laughs) it's a simple thing i think we Shouldn't have to force it. It should be natural. But my lesson is as much as you can explain and teach and show as much more a person can learn and understand more love or more understanding about something. Uh, this person will have. So it's not a matter of loving nature. as nature is part of us. It's just you don't have to live in a forest or live in a farm like I do. But you need to understand that the farm, a forest, are part of your life somehow. It's not just because you live in a building. You have no relationship with nature. We all have.
1: Yes, I couldn't agree more. You know, now a great deal of money is being spent to make you know interplanetary travel possible. And these technologies are amazing. At the same time, if we look inward, we're living on the miracle. The ecosystems on this planet and the natural world that we are part of is that miracle. So I think we have to do the searching out, but also inwards and to protect and to be better stewards of the planet. So thank you, Pablo Hoffman and Sociedad Chowdhury for all you've done to help restore the plants and culture of brazil and to promote people's connection to their land thank you for helping us understand that we are part of nature we don't own it we're all connected we appreciate you sharing your practice and your commitment to the environment we all live on one planet we call home thank you for adding your voice to one planet podcast
2: thank you mia it was a pleasure
0: One Planet Podcast is supported by the Jan Michelsky Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. The associate interview producer on this episode was Dara Diamond, Digital Media Coordinator was Sam Myers. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast and be a part of the climate change solution, just drop us a line at team at oneplanetpodcast.org. Thank you for listening.